posted on Facebook last night this, this you know, despondent thing about, oh, what, what am I supposed to, how do you watch a Super Bowl when your team's not in it, as if his, he never has had that experience. And I said, well, root for the uh, Chiefs because it must really stink to have your ex having such a good time with someone else. You know, we all want things to get back to normal, but really, did Brady have to be in the Super Bowl again? Is that, is that what this is about? Okay, enough of that nonsense. I, I want to talk to you about something really important today, uh, and that is how to avoid burnout. Uh, because I have been a Christian longer than some of you have been alive. That's true. I've been a believer for 60 years. Amen. I was four years old when I started following Jesus and have never looked back. I've been in ministry for almost 40 years, so... What, you know, and, and if you're in ministry that long, or if you've been a Christian that long, you're going to experience burnout at some point or other, right? You're going you're to hit the Anybody here ever experienced burnout? Yeah, a few of you are raising your hands, yeah. Uh, you know, what is burnout? Uh, we, we sometimes refer to burnout when we mean, you know, a weariness of heart, a sense of despondency, discouragement. A lot of people think that burnout comes from putting in too many hours or working too hard. But I agree with Aubrey Malfer is when he says that burnout isn't so much about working too many hours as it is about producing too little fruit. It's not about putting in too many hours but producing too little fruit. I came close to burnout when I was about six or seven years into ministry in a church in Pennsylvania. I served that church for 23 years and about year six or seven I kind of hit a wall. Up until that time, things have been going great. You know, I was the new young pastor. The church was growing. We had grown significantly. People in the community were kind of buzzing about that church, what's going on there. And other pastors were saying, hey, what are you doing over there? Like, what's your secret sauce? And I'd say modestly, you know, I, I really can't tell you except for God's blessing. And what I really was thinking was, I'm doing a really good job. <laughs> well, then I hit the wall. And I was getting you know, kind of burned out. Things weren't going as well as they had been. We hit this plateau and all of a sudden we weren't growing anymore. And I thought, well, okay, I'll do what any good American will do. I'll just work harder. I'll put in more hours. And so I, I worked harder. I put in more hours. And it seemed like the harder I worked, the stucker we got. And we just weren't getting off that plateau. And I didn't understand it. I was I was becoming kind of angry about it. I remember one night in particular, it was a Saturday night, and we had members in the church who had, uh, well, he was in a hospital, and they had the audacity to pick a hospital 45 minutes away from home and expect a visit, you know. <laughs> so that's an hour and a half of travel for a 10-minute visit. Didn't seem like a wise investment of time, but sometimes a pastor, you have to suck it up and do these things. And so I went out to the hospital, and then on the way home, I was just wanting to get home. It was 6 o'clock on a Saturday night. Everybody else was home having pizza with their families by then. And I had, you know, probably 10 minutes left in my drive, and I'm coming up to this one intersection. I can still picture it, just hoping that the light stays green so that I can get through and get home. And that light had the audacity to turn red. And that was like the last straw. I was ticked. And I slammed my hands on the steering wheel, and I said out loud, this isn't fair. Well, it was a sign that I was really right there on the verge of burnout. Now, we'll come back to that intersection in a little while. But 
I think there have been many times when I've worked just as hard or maybe even harder and I haven't minded it at all. So it wasn't about the hours. The difference was that in those other times I was seeing so much fruit, I didn't care. It was so fun and so fulfilling that I didn't care about the long hours. So it wasn't about the hours, it was about the lack of fruit. Well, to put it in the negative, I want to talk to you about how to avoid burnout, but to put it more positively, what I really want to talk to you about is how to be sure you bear fruit. And, and scripture often talks about the importance of bearing fruit. In Psalm 1, you have this picture of a tree planted by streams of water, and whatever it does, it prospers. It bears fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Everything is great about this tree, and, and that's a picture of a life that is lived in right relationship with God. You know? and, and the reason why you know, it's such a beautiful picture is because that tree is doing what it was made to do, Right? It's bearing fruit, and anybody who comes can rest beneath its shade and sample its luscious fruit. It's a tree that is, is fruitful. It's, it's doing what it was intended to do. Well, Jesus talks about the importance of bearing fruit, too. He wants his disciples to bear fruit, and so he spoke of that on the night before he went to the cross. Okay, So he's talking about things that are really important to him, things that are on his heart that he wants his disciples to know about. And what does he do? But he... he he tells them, you need to remain in me so you can bear fruit. I don't know if you noticed the passage that was read earlier, John 15, 1 through 8. Just eight verses, but six times in those eight verses, Jesus talks about bearing fruit. He talks about how I want you to bear fruit, how I want you to bear more fruit, how I want you to bear much fruit. And then a few verses later, he talks about bearing fruit that lasts. That's the legacy he wants every believer in Christ to leave. A legacy measured in terms of fruitfulness, you know, living for what really counts, fulfilling the purpose for which God put you on this planet. And, and here's the secret. He lets us in on the secret of how to have that kind of fruitful life. He lets us in on the secret by means of a metaphor, kind of an extended analogy that has three parts to it to help us explain what this business of bearing fruit is about. Now, the first part of the metaphor is the vine, right? Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, the reason why he says, I'm the true vine, is probably to distinguish himself from Old Testament Israel, which was called a wild vine. In the Old Testament, Israel was sometimes described as a vine, but a vine that only ever produced wild grapes or no grapes at all, just leafy growth, but no grapes. And that was a, a kind of a symbol of how... Israel had failed to live up to its promise as that nation through whom God would bless all the other nations of the earth. And, and that promise went unfulfilled until Messiah, Jesus, came because it was through Jesus that that promise would be fulfilled. And so it, Israel gives birth to Jesus. Jesus then is the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he says, I am the true vine. I'm the one through whom that promise now will be fulfilled. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. And then there are the branches. So three parts, the vine, the vine dresser, the gardener, and then the branches. That's you, my disciples. Now, the part that the vine plays in this is so obvious that it barely needs to be stated, right? The vine gives life to the branches, and that's what enables them to bear fruit. Jesus is the life-giving one. He gives his life to us, and it's through him that we bear fruit. But Jesus then goes on to spell out more specifically the role of the gardener and then the role of the branches themselves. So Jesus says, I am the vine. My father, 
is the gardener. My father is the vine dresser. Now, before we go much farther, I need to tell you a little bit about first century vineyards because they don't look like modern day vineyards. When I say the word vineyard, you get a picture in your head of rows and rows of straight trestles about six feet high or so, steel or a wooden post with steel wire running across and, and vines that grow up onto these uh, trestles and the branches spread out on the trestles. And, and you see a Napa Valley vineyard or a French vineyard with row after row of these trestles. Well, a first century vineyard looked nothing like that. Because in first century Israel, when a gardener, a vine dresser, wanted to start a vineyard, the first thing he'd have to do would be to clear a plot of ground of rocks. Because if you've ever been to Israel, you know that one thing they have a lot of is limestone rocks, lots and lots of rocks. So the vine dresser would first have to clear all these rocks, and he'd probably have so many of them that he could make a fence out of rocks that would go all the way around the plot of ground where he wanted to make his vineyard. And sometimes they had so many rocks, they could also build a tower in the middle of the vineyard, they called a watchtower. From that vantage point, they could oversee the, the vines and how they were all doing. So the first thing the gardener would have to do would be clear all these rocks. And then having cleared a sufficient plot of ground, he would begin planting his vines, little stalks probably about eight inches high and sticking them in the ground at various places around this plot of ground. And then uh, you know he's gonna hope that those vines take root and before long, the vines should start producing branches. Now, vine branches don't go straight up, they grow out. And so if you've got a, a vine about eight inches high and now the branches are coming out, what's gonna to happen to those vines? They're gonna grow and they're gonna trail along in the dirt. And so one of the first things that the vine dresser, the gardener will need to do is to get those, those branches out of the dirt because uh, branches of a grapevine aren't like, uh, you know, a cucumber vine or a pumpkin vine where the fruit is produced on the ground. Uh, grapes don't, don't develop that way. For grapes to develop, the branches need to be elevated so that they get plenty of sunlight and then the fruit can hang down. It can develop uh, in a bunch. And in order to do that, then the, the gardener has to lift up those branches off the ground and what does he use to do that? Well, you don't have a lot of wood and you don't have any steel wire in the first century, so you use what you've got, rocks. You've got lots and lots of rocks. Now, I had the opportunity to see a vineyard that was actually cultivated this way when I studied in Israel as a college student, and it was amazing because it looked nothing like our vineyards. So what you saw was these, these little vines coming out of the ground and then rocks in rows where the vine dresser had trained the the, the vines to run along these rocks so that they could bear fruit. Now, I say all that because I think it makes better sense of verse 2 of our passage, uh, where in most of our translations it says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, that's a strange thing if you're starting a vineyard to start cutting off branches right away. There's a better explanation, and that is that the word that's translated in most of our English translations cuts off has another meaning, and that meaning is lifts up. In fact, that's the best and most uh, original meaning of the word. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, you know, words are kind of elastic, and they come to mean other things over time, and so over time, the word came to mean not just lift up, but to lift up so as to carry off, and then eventually to cut off, 
And so you can understand where this translation comes from. But if you go back to the original meaning of the word, and you'll find this, by the way, in the New King James Version in the margin, they give it as an alternate translation. I think the better translation is to say, what does a vine dresser do when he's planted that vineyard? Well, one of the first things he does is he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. Why? So that it can begin to become fruitful. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture of what God, our Heavenly Father, does for us in Christ? He lifts us up out of the muck and the mire of our former wild condition. Why? So that we can begin to be fruitful. We can begin to bear the fruit of Jesus in our lives. So the first thing the vine dresser does for these vines after he's planted them and the, and the branches start coming out is he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit so that it can begin to be fruitful. So you can begin to bear fruit. And then he goes on to say that um, he, cuts, he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Okay, so he lifts them up props them up on rocks so that they can begin to bear fruit. And then what's the next thing he does with those branches? He prunes them. Why? So they can bear even more fruit. Now, pruning is kind of a cleansing process. In fact, that's what the word means. It means to cleanse. And it's the way you cleanse, you clean a vine, is by cutting away uh, the bad stuff. Because uh, what happens is when a, when a branch begins to grow off of a vine there's this thing that happens right at the intersection uh, where it, it, they're called sucker shoots, these little shoots of leafy growth that come out right there at the intersection and they begin to, to form and curl. And if you let that go, a lot of the life of the vine will go into the production of all this leafy growth and it will rob the vine of the energy it needs to produce more grapes. And so every year, uh, the vine dresser needs to come along and cut away these sucker shoots not only to clean away those little leafy growth things that dissipate the life of the vine, but also because that's where a lot of dirt and debris and, and, and disease can collect and insects and all other kinds of things. So when you cut that stuff away, you're actually cleaning the vine so that it can be even more fruitful. Well, if you are a true believer, a true follower of Jesus, uh, and uh, you've begun to bear some fruit, you can expect to be pruned. And pruning isn't a pleasant process. It hurts. And the thing, the tool that God will most often use in your life to prune you is the word, the word of God. Look what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 3. You are already clean. The word there is actually you are already pruned, same word. You're already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus is saying that's the effect of my words on you. That's why I've been teaching you all these things. My words have convicted you of sin. My words have revealed wrong attitudes. My words have corrected bad behavior. My words have called for greater obedience. If you belong to Jesus and are a branch of the true vine, you've got to expect to be pruned, and the instrument he'll use to do it is his word. I was uh, once a part of a church plant in Minnesota, and that's where I caught the bug. When I was living in Minnesota for four years, my wife and I were part of a church plant, and, and we really not only enjoyed the process, but we saw the value of planting churches 
and brought that back east when, when we came back to pastor another church. And uh, as part of the church plant, I, we were leading a house group, a, a life group like you have here. And I, in that particular life group, uh, at a certain point, they would break into men's groups and women's groups for some discussion. I was leading a group of guys in a discussion one night about the importance of God's word in the life of the believer. And one of the younger guys in the group uh, said, you know, if I go on a business trip and I neglect getting into the scriptures for a couple of days, I can tell the difference. I begin to get a surly attitude and, and I begin to kind of drift into behavior and thoughts uh, that are, are just not healthy for me as a believer. I gotta stay in the word. And an older guy in the group said, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. He said, I, I ought to be getting into the, the scriptures more frequently than I do. But, you know, every time I open the scriptures, it gives me a, a, a stiff kick in the seat. Well, that's the pruning, right? Uh, pruning sometimes isn't too pleasant. When we open the scriptures, we, we, we risk uh, having, you know, bad attitudes revealed and, and being convicted of sin and, and being instructed in how to get ourselves right before God and, and, and uh, instructions about what it means to be obedient to him. That's the pruning process, and it's so valuable. It's so important that we subject ourselves. We allow ourselves to be subjected to the pruning of God's word because that's the only way you go from bearing some fruit to bearing more fruit. And that's what the Savior wants for us. And so, so that we can bear any fruit at all, the Father, the wise gardener, lifts us up and sets us in a, in a different place so that we can begin to bear fruit. And then when we begin to bear fruit, the vine dresser prunes us so that we can become even more fruitful. So the vine gives life to the branches. The vine dresser lifts those branches up and he prunes them so that they can bear more fruit. And then we come finally to the branches. That's us. And when it comes to the branches, Jesus says there's basically only one job you have, one responsibility, and that's to stay really, really connected to the vine. Uh, look what he says in, in verse uh, 4, actually in, in several of these verses. Notice how much he makes of this need to abide in him or remain in him. Verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Over and over again, he uses this idea of remain in me, abide in me. And if you go on to verse 9, he says, remain in, abide in my love. So if we're going to understand our responsibility in this whole metaphor as, as branches, then we better get clear on what Jesus means when he says, remain in or abide in me. Now, the word in the original language is a simple word that means to stay in a place, to continue in a place, to dwell in a place, to remain, to stand. And, and so there's a place where some of the disciples say to Jesus, can we remain with you? Can we stay with you? Now, John uses this word more than anyone else in all the scriptures. He uses it 40 times in 33 verses. And when John uses it, he uses it to refer to the closest possible relationship that you could ever have with someone. And so uh, in John chapter 14, verse 10, 
John uses this verse or this word to describe the relationship of Jesus himself to God the Father. Look at this. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in, that's the same word there, remaining in, abiding in me, who is doing his work. Jesus saying, the Father and I have this incredibly close relationship. I am in him. He is in me. He remains in me. And, and, and the words I speak aren't just my words. They're, they're the Father speaking through me. That's how close we are. Now, John goes on a few verses later to use the same word to describe the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the believer. He says in John 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives. That's the same word. He remains. He abides with you and will be in you. You're going to have that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit himself. He's going to be in you. He's going to remain in you, and he's going to empower you to live a whole new way. And so this word, remain in or abide in, speaks of a relationship where two persons are so closely linked that the life of one flows through the other. The life of the Father flows through the Son. The life of the Spirit flows through the believer. Jesus says, I want you to have that kind of relationship with me. I want you to live in such vital fellowship with me that the life of, of, of the vine flows through you, the branches. It's always the life of the greater flowing through the other. Live in such vital relationship with me that my life flows through you. That's why he says in verse 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Live in such vital relationship with me that my life flows through you and you bear my fruit. Stay really, really connected to me such that my ways become your ways and my thoughts become your thoughts. And, and your character begins to reflect my character and my love flows through your words and actions. That's the essence of discipleship, is learning to lead my life as Jesus would lead it if Jesus were to live my life. We like to say at Bayside, and we say it a lot, that Jesus gave his life for you in order to give his life to you so that he might live his life through you as you. Jesus wants to live his life through you. And you can't live that kind of life until, unless you stay really, really connected to him. Amen. And the result of this kind of living, Jesus says, is much fruit. If a man remains in me, verse 5, he will bear much fruit. Verse 8 says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. Now, what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Well, certainly we're talking about the fruit of godly character. In, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces by virtue of the fact that he lives in the life of the believer, is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't beat that kind of character. And it only comes from abiding in Christ, letting his spirit do his work in you. So it's the fruit of godly character. It's the fruit of good works. Paul talks about in Colossians 1.10, uh, bearing fruit in every good work. It's the fruit of influencing the lives of others for Christ so that more and more people are coming to faith in him. It's also power in prayer. 
I mean, if you look at verse 7, what an incredible promise you have there. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now, what's that saying? Not, man, if I get in really good with God, I can ask for Mercedes and he's going to give it to me. No. Because, you see, if I remain in him and his words remain in me, this is really taking root in my heart and life. What are the kinds of things I'm going to ask for? The kind of things he most wants to give me. And so as I remain in him and his words remain in me, I'll, I'll see power in prayer because I'll begin to ask for the very things that God most wants to give. Right? So I'll see power in prayer. Uh, and, and he's saying, look, if you abide in me and, and my life begins to flow through you, then, then you can ask whatever you desire because you'll be asking for the things I want to give. But... You know, as, as great it is, is to, to bear this kind of fruit, there are also consequences of not abiding. If I come unstuck from the vine, if I break away from him or I'm not abiding in him as I should, one of the consequences of that kind of life is futility. That doesn't sound so good in verse 4 when he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you don't remain in me, you're not going to fulfill your purpose. You're not going to bear fruit. He says in verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Separate the shoot from the vine, the branch from the vine, and there's no fruit. That branch fails to do what it was made to do. It's futile. And that was my mistake as I drove up to that intersection that night and slammed my hands on the steering wheel and said out loud, this isn't fair. And God says, okay, you want to have a conversation? Let's have a conversation. What's not fair? And I said this. I, you know, I'm, I'm working my full head off for you, and you're not blessing me the way you should. And you know what he said? Where have you been? Where have you been? And I said, what do you mean, where have I been? I've, I've just been to this hospital, you know, 45 minutes from home. I've been doing all this stuff over here and this stuff over there. That's where I've been. I've been doing your work. He said, no, where have you been? And I knew what he meant by that. He was saying to me, Dave, I've been waiting for you to meet with me. You've been so busy doing my work. You've forgotten about me. You haven't been abiding. And God drew me back to John 15. And it reminded me all over again that it's not about me. It's about him. And, and I had to realize afresh that, okay, so maybe I was able to grow a church to a certain extent based on, on my youthful energy and my talents and my, my giftedness and my training. And we got to a certain point, but you know what? It wasn't going any farther. You know why? Because I wasn't doing it in him. I wasn't doing it in his strength. I was trying to do the work of the Almighty in the strength of Dave Ritter. I'll tell you what, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I, and I came to the realization that I had made Jesus the object of my life and ministry, but I hadn't made him the source. There's a big difference between having Jesus as the object of your ministry and having him as the source. It's kind of like, you know, I used to pray, God bless my life, God bless my ministry. And when I hit the wall, I realized that was the wrong prayer. Instead of saying, God, bless my life, I should have saying, live your life through me. 
Instead of saying, God bless my ministry, I should have been saying, Lord, do your work through me. That reoriented my, my whole point of view about ministry. And uh, as I began to abide in the vine, guess what happened in my church? The fruit came again. The fruit came. And I didn't even have to try that hard. I just needed to abide in Jesus. Well, there are consequences of failing to abide in the vine. One of them is futility. The other is destruction. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Yeah, there, it does eventually get around to the point where the vine dresser will notice that some of these branches have broken off and they're not good for anything except to be tossed in this bonfire over here. That's not how you start a vineyard, but it does eventually come to that point where you have to throw away dead branches and, and it can come to that. Branches being thrown into the fire and burned. Now, what, what's he talking about here? Is he talking about people who've lost their salvation or they weren't Christians in the first place? Or is he talking about something like what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 when he said that there are some people who are going to be saved but only as those passing through the fire that their works built of wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up, but they will be saved. Is he talking about something like that? It's hard to tell because Jesus doesn't give us a whole lot to go on here. He only basically says you've got... Two, two alternatives here. One is to abide in me and bear fruit, and the other is to get detached from me and get thrown in the fire and burned. I don't know about you, but I'm going to choose staying attached and bearing fruit any day of the week, Amen. right? And the only way you can do that is to spend lots and lots of time with him, to spend time listening to him speak to you in his word, to spend time pouring out your heart to him in prayer, to spend time listening for his still, small voice, I, I get an image in my head of when I think of abiding in Christ, of, of when I was just a little kid and I would crawl up in my dad's lap and he would welcome me there and put his arms around me and I would just enjoy being with him, being in his presence. Can we be like that with Jesus? Amen. I think we can. I think we need to. And you might say, well, I don't have that kind of time. Well, you know, if you want to abide in Christ and bear fruit, it's not a matter of having the time. It's a matter of making the time. It's that important. It's that much of a priority. Because if you don't abide, you can't expect fruit. S.D. Gordon tells a story of how he had a cherry tree in his backyard. And, and the, one of the branches broke and it was kind of hanging by a, a thread. You know how that happens sometimes with trees. And he said the interesting thing was that that spring, that, that branch that was kind of hanging by a thread, got some blossoms. And it even bore a little bit of fruit, but it wasn't very good fruit and there wasn't much of it. And Gordon said that the fruit we bear, whether much or little, tells the story of our abiding. What is the single most important secret of living a truly fruitful life and thereby avoiding burnout? It's this. The only way to be truly fruitful is to continually draw your life from Christ. To control, continually draw your life from Jesus. Fruitfulness is not about working longer or trying harder. It's a matter of living in such vital union with Jesus that his life flows through you to producing results you could never achieve on your own. Such godly character that people have a, a glimpse of Jesus whenever they look at you. Good works that bless others and honor God. Ready answers to prayer because you're asking for the things he most wants to give. Other people's lives are touched, perhaps influenced for eternity. 
as you help them find Christ or to grow in him. And Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, there's a place in near London called Hampton Court where there is a, an old grapevine. It's believed to be a thousand years old. It's been continually and carefully cultivated for a thousand years. And now it's such a national treasure, they have it under this huge greenhouse. Well, that one grapevine has a root two feet thick. Some of the branches are 200 feet long. And that one mighty grapevine through those branches produces several tons of grapes each year. Isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus and his branches? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's what works for avoiding burnout, and it's not about cutting back your hours at work or making sure you take a good long vacation, although those things are, are great too. It's rather about abiding in Christ. Get so close to Jesus that his life flows through you so that your life bears his fruit. Submit to his periodic pruning, painful as it may be, so that you can bear even more fruit. Stay really, really connected to him and never, ever let go, and you'll bear abundant and lasting fruit that will bring you joy, will be a blessing to others and bring glory to the Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can have life in Christ, that we don't have to try to live this, this Christian life on our own. We, it's not up to us to produce the fruit, but you want to produce it through us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take these words of our precious Savior to heart and to take up his challenge to abide, to abide, to live in such vital relationship with Jesus that his very life will flow through us and will bear his amazing fruit. Lord, may we be fruit bearers. May we know the joy of, of fulfilling the, the purpose of our existence. May we bring blessings to others and glory to you, our Heavenly Father, the wise vine dresser. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.